Uh, you may notice I used to promise this all the time when I was the rector here. This is a reading list, which is a list of books that some of the books that I have been reading in my retirement, and it's a list that is kind of you know uh, quirky and idiosyncratic. But uh, if you're interested to know and if any of these titles appeal, some are very academic. Here's three that uh, I think are uh, important or that I liked a lot. Uh, um, J.D. Vance, Hillbilly Elegy. If you haven't read that book, you need to read that book. You'll find out why the situation on the ground in this country uh, is the way it is, or, or at least that's a, a contributory factor. Um, the uh, other titles that I think are, are um, just interesting and I've read, uh, Rasputin, Faith, Power, and the Twilight of the Romanoffs. Uh, you'll learn a lot more than you ever wanted to know about Rasputin and whether or not all these things they said about him are true. It turns out mostly they're not. Um, David K. Johnston, The Making of Donald Trump. That's another book you've got to read. David K. Johnston teaches tax law at Syracuse University, and uh, he knows a lot, and he has a whole storage unit filled with material about Donald Trump. So it's an extremely interesting book, and uh, he appears on television from time to time. And uh, the other uh, book that uh, I thought was worth pointing out is uh, Richard Elliott Friedman, The Bible Now. Uh, he's a uh, Old Testament scholar, very interesting. But any of these other titles, uh, I, I commend. I've read other, some other things. But what have you been doing during your retirement? <laughs> I've been doing a lot of reading. So, this is the last Sunday after uh, Epiphany, and we're just poised now to enter the season of Lent. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is uh, these things. Uh, a recapitulation of the season. You know me. I love the word recapitulation. <laughs> and so I'm going to do a recapitulation of what this season meant, this mini green season of Epiphany, the beginning and the end, uh, both uh, start and finish with Epiphany. And uh, we'll talk a little bit shortly about that. Uh, briefly about the two readings from Exodus, Moses goes up to the mountain, and also uh, the reading from Second Peter. And then finally to speak about the transfiguration as we read it in Matthew's Gospel, and to say something about the meaning of this uh, in our own lives, and I want to talk a little bit about um, mountaintop experiences which is a way of describing uh, dramatic occurrences in our lives that have lasting effect on how we understand uh, ourselves and so forth moving forward. I'm only going to talk about the positive experiences like that because all of us have the other kind too. We have experiences that deeply uh, influence us that we're not the most happy but were probably important for for it to be happen. Anyhow, the uh, thing I want to say about the green season or the epiphany season is epiphany is the feast of the manifestation of Christ. That is to say, we believe that God became a human being, 
and was made manifest in his person to the world. And the significance for the biblical writers is that epiphany, the epiphany has universal significance. And you know, I believe that, and in the present time, uh, we need to understand that and share it of, uh, of its sectarian aspects. Christianity has something to offer now, the prophetic edge, the voice, in the midst of the, uh, the uh, challenges and opportunities that are in front of us right now in our country. We read the psalm today, the opening verse, why are the nations in an uproar? <laughs> Think, right? It's, it's a situation on the grass. We say, I say to my dog, rags, rags, we have a situation. It's a situation. <laughs> but the epiphany season is a mini green season, and the great green season is about Christian discipleship. It's about the cost, the ways and the means, and the nature of Christian discipleship, how we understand being disciples, learners, as we proceed in our own lives. How is it that we do that? And we understand something also about the church. And you know, I'm a traditionalist, some of you may know, and I think the church is important. I don't think the church has always behaved uh, at its best, but the church is the instrument by which we sometimes come to know that we are unconditionally loved, accepted, and forgiven by God. What a thing to remember. I came across this, I can't remember uh, the, the person who wrote it, but uh, this is important for now. The church is the single multi-ethnic family promised by the Creator God to Abraham. It was brought into being through Israel's Messiah, Jesus. It was energized by God's Spirit, and it was called to bring the transformative news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. So we have a big job, and it's always been true. So think about the church. Moses goes up the mountain... And this isn't as uh, we haven't got to Moses coming down. He's just going to stay up on the mountain and be there for 40 days. Whenever you read 40 days and 40 nights in the Bible, it means a long time. <laughs> right? So let's not have a big discussion about what, one, two, three, four. He was up there for a long time. And the biblical writer had uh, was at pains to say, we're talking here about the bridging of the human and the divine. And so there's an epiphany. The cloud comes down and the fire and so forth. Now Moses is going to come down the mountain and his face is going to shine. And I'll have more to say about that. It's not in today's reading. And I'll speak about the significance of that, particularly when we get to the transfiguration. The bridging of the human and the divine. Remember Father Keating, we are not God, but our true self is God. And so our spiritual journey involves touching the divine center in all human beings. And when we see one another, we should remember that, that we're created in God's image. You know, sometimes the image gets deformed, both outside and inside. And so there's a way in which we need to uh, get it all pushed back into shape uh, in God's image. That's part of the Christian journey uh, as well. 
In Second Peter, uh, here's what I was taught in seminary. You can take it or leave it. Second Peter is the oldest, is the uh, latest piece of writing in the New Testament. It was written probably around 120 A.D. That's the teaching, or a little earlier. Um, therefore, people would get all exercised about whether Peter wrote it. Right? Don't worry about it. <laughs> People who, who in some way are obsessive about combing through this have discovered something, though. One of the things that I've discovered after being a priest over 40 years is don't let anybody ever tell you use the phrase the assured results of modern biblical scholarship. Don't believe that. <laughs> Do not believe that. <laughs> so what we found in Second Peter was a strand of the description by the writer of the, of the transfiguration. And it predates what we read in the Gospels. It's a very primitive tradition in the New Testament. So he got it from a source that is earlier than Matthew, Mark, or Luke, the Synoptic Gospels. Okay, they all tell the same stories. They all use the same sources. And that's how we know this sort of thing. So... One of the other things, of course, that Peter is talking about, which I always love to quote to people who get twisted up. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So that business is not finished yet. And we need to understand that uh, private interpretations are, are just that. And you know, there are a lot of Christian people in this world that are laboring under a lot of false... It's not good. So they need to understand that uh, there is a long tradition of biblical interpretation that we need to be connected with and understand. From the jump to how people have used this and integrated it in their lives... Episcopalians, John DeSantis said it. Thank you for learning it. Episcopalians have three sources for authority in their common life. The Bible, our human reason and experience, and the tradition with a capital T. It's the three-legged stool that our faith rests on. So that's very important. So when we think about the Bible, it's part of all these, those other two things as well and how we understand it. All right, the transfiguration. Jesus is on the mountain, and he has Peter, James, and John. And in the story, he is transfigured in front of them. Remember, he is seen with Moses and Elijah, the two great figures, or two of the great figures, in the messianic yearnings of the people at the time of Jesus, who believed that we would begin to see now some transformation as the result of the influences of those people. And Matthew's gospel is at pains to say that in the person of Jesus, he embodies the new Torah. Okay, So the law has been superseded by the law of love, let's say the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, So that's how Matthew wants to do this. So we have 
Jesus being transfigured. Father Thomas Keating, in his book, The Mystery of Christ, says the divine source of his human personality poured out through every pore of his body in the firm of light. So if I were an Eastern Orthodox Christian, a Greek or a Russian, I would say what, he, what they saw up there was what we call the uncreated light. How do we understand that? Have you ever seen anybody whose face is shown? Have you ever seen anybody because some very good things have happened to them? They've had a transformative experience. They understand all of this. Their face shines. I said last night when I was in seminary, I came back to San Francisco to meet all of the diocesan minions in this through the ringer process they put you through. And it coincided with an event that was common back in the 70s, sponsored by Trinity Church Wall Street, uh, called the Trinity Institute. And they had a variety of speakers there. And at this particular conference, they had Brother Roger Schultz, the founder, one of them, of the These community in France, the monastic or religious community of Protestants who became involved in this particular kind of uh, uh, living the Christian faith and life. So there was an intermission and a break and everything, and somebody came up to me that I knew and was talking with. He said, you know, I know Brother Roger Schultz. Would you like to meet him? And I said, sure. It was an intermission. So we go back into a little room, and he's there with one other guy, and he introduced me to him, and I never, his face... His face shone. The uncreated light was present there. It was the first experience of that that, I've, that I had that I recognized because of my book learning. <laughs> I realized that's what I was seeing and that it is possible. So this, this divine light is what's, I think, inside all human beings, and it is important. But here's the thing, too, that this story tells us about. Peter, mountaintop experience, big things that happened to us. Peter's there, he's dumbstruck, and so he says, Mr. Helpful, (laughs) you know, it's a good thing we're here. We could build three dwelling places, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's freeze the moment. Have you ever gone through something where you said, boy, I wish this would just go on forever? You know, it was so wonderful. I wish it would just go on forever. And then a voice comes from the cloud. Remember the cloud in Exodus? A voice comes from the cloud and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. They're so frightened, they're prostrate. Now, here's why I like Matthew's version of this. In the midst of all of that fear and terror, Jesus comes over to them and he touches them. And he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So much of my life has been driven by self-centered fear. It's something that uh, is, I, I need to cope with on a daily basis. Worry, nervousness, 
anxiety, you know, do not fear. Do not fear. And that's one of the great learnings. Now, the final thing I'm going to say, or close to the final thing, is that um, we talk a lot in the church about spiritual experience. And the word spirituality is being now used so widely that in this man's opinion, it becomes somehow uh, meaningless on one level. But the important thing about that is that this conversation now has broadened the way each of us can think about the nature of spiritual experience. So recently I reread sections of a book written by a man named William James called The Varieties of Religious Experience. He wrote it in 1905. He was a psychologist. And he wrote a book about this. And he describes in one place two varieties of spiritual experience. The first is the mountaintop experience. You know, knocked off your pins. A lot of Christian people say that it's absolutely necessary for you to experience in order to be in. So that sort of experience uh, is, is, you know, something. And then there's another kind that he describes as the educational variety. Slowly but surely, little by slow, you look back and you see how you've made spiritual progress, how you can feel inside you the word human being made in God's image, that it's possible to be able to do that. If you read this passage in the Greek, (laughs) the word that's used for transfiguration is metamorphosi. Have you heard the word metamorphosis? Okay. And we use the term in science, don't we, for like a, a, a caterpillar becoming a chrysalis and then becoming a butterfly. The interesting thing about all that, of course, is, is that the, the thing itself doesn't realize this has happened. You know, all of a sudden they're a chrysalis and then they're a butterfly. And the butterfly, by the way, is a symbol of the resurrection in our tradition. It's one of the symbols. But it's part of a process of change. You know, if you think about our lives and we're troubled and worried and nervous, nothing changes if nothing changes. So on a daily basis, you have to remind yourself that that's an important thing. So Episcopalians uh, celebrate this transfiguration, August 6th is the main feast, but we do it before Lent because it's a reminder of what's at the end of Lent, metamorphosis. So it prepares us for the journey of some serious uh, self uh, you know, looking at yourself, finding out the directions you're looking for happiness and seeing if they're the right ones. And if they're not, how you might uh, change the direction. Metanoia in Greek, to turn around, to look in another way, that that may be the thing. So as you move towards Ash Wednesday, uh, do a little thinking about your past 
how, how maybe you've experienced some things that were life-changing. Sometimes you can be very disappointed because the energy that you felt with this uh, a transformative experience seems to dissipate. So I have never thought that the uh, dramatic spiritual experience and the educational variety are mutually exclusive. You know, they're the same thing. And so we can learn by doing. So I hope you have a holy Lent and um, always do the right thing. <laughs> Amen.